Welcome back, everyone, to the 18th episode of Something in the Crown. I I hope this is our 18th episode. It is, right? Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> so today is a special episode, um, and I am Unsung Kim, and I'm Yuen. So we talk about two shows that both of us kind of watched and both didn't like <laughs> yes uh i definitely started watching taiwan class when it first came out i think and the way that i did it is i watched well maybe it was like already wrapping up and but people were talking about it and what i did was i watched the first two episodes and then i watched like the second to last episode and then i just watched the last episode and we will talk about why we did this. Um, and then I thought I watched C- Camellia, but apparently I watched a different show. So I sort of kind of read the synopsis and we will talk about that as I quickly tried to catch up. <laughs> I mean, it's entirely possible you did watch Camellia when the Camellia blooms. Um I watched most of When the Camellia Blooms and then got very annoyed um, with all the serial killer activity. (laughs) And I think at a certain point, um, abandoned it. And then, or maybe just like, I think I just fast forwarded maybe to like the last episode, the last two episodes or something like that. But I watched enough to get a vibe. Um, It's with Long Clouds. I watched I thought I watched all of the first episode and then, <laughs> and then when after Claire sent in her request to us I was like oh let me return to this again and I realized I didn't even finish that first episode because <laughs> what I thought about that show so just like you I just watched the ending and we totally understand everything about this yeah <laughs> Um, but to maybe preface, so Claire tweeted at me uh, last week and asked if we had seen these two shows and wanted our analysis um, of the two shows. And um, we thought about it because there were actually two shows that Kim had actually watched part of Camellia and then told me about it and then basically decided we shouldn't watch it because that's kind of how we vet shows. Um, and I did the same for Itaewon class. So we thought like we could maybe talk about the process of how we decide to watch something, but also something that we like actively don't watch, which we think both Camellia and Itaewon class share um, something similar uh, that we actively don't watch. <laughs> like we actively look for so that we don't have to watch that kind of bullshit. <laughs> And, you know, we are we are committed to this podcast. We watch a lot of content. There's a lot of stuff that actually we watch that doesn't end up on this podcast. Totally. Um, like, while, while you're sleeping, this random show where I'm just like, oh, every day I'm like, I text Kim and I'm like, I'm going to give up. And then I watch like one more, you know. Relaxing show because it's not that good and kind of predictable i think totally Um, yes i do think that both of us are into legal dramas in general which i think is related to the fact that it's about learning 
about people who don't believe the truth is relevant. And like, and so you watch it to kind of like figure this out a bit. Um, so I think, you know, that show we just kind of watch for kicks, but it's definitely not something that we really want to get into. No. There's a serial killer in that too, so don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I think maybe to just do like an overarching, like maybe some of the things that we're going to discuss on this episode about things that we didn't like about both of these shows um, that we've touched upon, I think, in previous episodes of this podcast and talking about other series. Um, but number one, as you all know, we we don't care for empty female characters at all. Uh, we don't we don't want like shows that basically only have uh, only has one female character and even then she's not very good like she's just like a sidekick or we would just watch us tv if we wanted that haha but seriously like um we don't like any of these female characters to be overly weak when they're like hyper victimized uh if they're constantly just they're so-called lead characters but they're just in constant need of saving um we don't like them when they just kind of are like subjects of like repeated abuse by everyone around them and and that it goes on for like a really long period of time um and we're not that interested in women that are um basically their characters set up just to be kind of just immediately sexualized because they're not considered pure or like perfect in some kind of way which is often a thing that happens i think in a lot of these k-dramas where there's like there's a there's a pure and proper female character. And then there's one that's like, she not good because she has a baby or like, you know, there's just something about her that doesn't like kind of fit into that kind of Christian purity narrative at the same time. Um, and I think we also like, especially in um, these two shows, but I think in it's one um, more so, I think we're just like, we just can't watch this much fucking torture. Like we just nope. cannot. I'm sorry. Like that was why I think that I could even get through that first episode, you know, where it's like, like we already live in a fascist country. Like I don't need to watch Absolutely. this. I don't need to watch this much brutalization um, over and over again uh, as part of my entertainment, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that this is really important because the kind, what we actively look for is, we're interested in conflict and we're interested in um, transformation, which will always include disagreement, rupture, so forth, so forth, discomfort, violence even. But we are, but, but there's this, there's this sort of cheap like writer's trick that I think is very consistent throughout all of the shows in the US and in Korea and elsewhere where you set up a protagonist who's poor, who's ultimately going to be rich anyway, right? Like, that is the arc. But for 15 fucking episodes, we see this person just being tortured. It's like, in the first episode of Itaewon class, like, I mean, we, like, not only is he expelled, his dad dies, like, all this other stuff is happening to him. It's just, like, a lot. Like, and... I think that there's something about like it almost seems like there's a so much of it rests on watching like the poor suffer that like ultimately becomes the show. So like if for 15 episodes it's about a poor person being 
um, suffering and then watching the wealthy like torture the poor at what point is it about anything else there's, there's nothing else to it and ultimately the only way that the main character in Taiwan class can actually no longer be tortured is to be a better capitalist a more successful capitalist which is like fuck that shit like that's uninteresting that's predictable that's actually what liberalism wants you to buy into that like you will be tortured until you're the torturer and we're uninterested in um that's not a, that's not entertainment it's also um it's like a source of like frustration that kim and i have and live with that requires us to do lots and lots of physical exercise to sort of expel this rage like we can't like sit in front of a screen and have it just kind of be like oppressed to us this way well and i think that you know um and it the way that it like the way that they kind of uh you know you talked about the kind of laziness about that kind of narrative construction too where it is you know when you watch it it's like you get the point right away but yet somehow we have to endure like 10 full minutes or 15 full minutes of just like something like a particular scene that like unfolds where it's like i don't need to see you getting beat up this like yeah for this exactly like i get it and that's why it's like it is about that kind of poverty porn you know where it's like this like i don't need to see this this is too much and i think that one of the main problems about this is that you know for that arc about like becoming a good capitalist i think it also like leaves this type of brutalization is necessary in order to achieve your own transformation in order Absolutely. to achieve some type of like development of your own to achieve success to like all of these things cannot occur without being incredibly brutalized for an excessive amount of time and i think that then in turn that that brutalization then justifies things like extrajudicial killing or violence yes. as retribution because you just like we've endured 15 episodes of this person being tortured and so then you're like yeah fucking murder that guy you know <laughs> you're like oh my god like what is happening and you know and you and you see how like this is like especially true i think of u.s television but you know it's it's everywhere for sure about that entertainment that really conditions you to accept that punishment and incarceration and extrajudicial violence is like it is desired, it is warranted, and it is necessary, yes. you know, and, and that's like the only pathway. And I think, you know, when you watch these kinds of shows, you're like, oh my God, I'm like, it's happening to me where I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, that guy gotta die, you know, and it's like, whoa. Yeah, like, you're like, I can't watch him smirk anymore. Just kill him. Just, just go away. You know, that's the only way you're going to disappear from the show, unless this is a show about ghosts, then you might make a comeback, you know, like... <laughs> Um, but so like maybe we can talk a little bit about Camellia and then move to Itaewon specifically um, but yes like this uh, this kind of torture like and torture as torture, torture of the poor as entertainment really does feel like a middle to upper class form of viewership right because like so much of the narrative is, is this kind of like liberal narrative of like leadership reform or company reform because that's really all that it is but um the, the the arc of camellia is fascinating because how many shows about 
serial killers are we really going to have? Not just in the U.S., but like in Korea. Like, we looked up the murder and crime rates, which every murder that happens is very serious. And all of like all of the violence that happens is very serious. But considering how the murder rate in Korea is actually quite low, there seems to be a disproportionate number of shows about serial killers and murders in the shows. Like, what's up with that? Also, why was there a serial killer in this show about a single-ish mom? Like, I don't understand. I, I think that we just, like, continuously watch shows, and then you're just like, oh, there's a serial killer in this one, too. <laughs> like, it's like, why? Why Why did this, like, Tomorrow With You was like that? You're like, it's just about a time-traveling man, and there's ramen, and he's got a sad wife, and now there's a serial killer. I know, and that serial killer made no sense, because I think you said it really well, maybe not on the podcast, but to me, that, like, the serial killer is almost, like, haphazard. Like, he's like, ugh, whatever, you didn't take my bribe, so I guess I'll kill you. Like... <laughs> And then I'll have to kill this other person because of this other haphazard murder, which like it turns out and we don't want to make light of serial killing or murder, but it turns out there's like a very specific definition of serial killer. And like, granted, every single I cannot stress this enough that like every single murder, we take every single murder very, very seriously and crime um, against like particularly women but also like everyone, like murder and violence, like to be very serious. But with that being said, like there seems to be more entertainment about this than there is actually the 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 actuality of the murder, which like P.S. in a U.S. context, like I hope that everyone, the, all, the friend group that like listens to this, that we're like familiar enough with the total garbage police system to know that like they don't even solve murders anyway like the murder clearance rate is like so low it's like less than 40 percent the last time i checked so i mean yeah like i don't know i'm now ranting kim what were you gonna say well that's why there's so many murderers on the street you know because <laughs> <laughs> the only things go unsolved <laughs> but i think you're pointing at something really important because i think that the murders exist more in our entertainment and fantasy and our imagination then they actually happen which is a, it's conditioning us for something absolutely well it's like like this like <laughs> prevalence of the serial killer is all about constructing like cultures of fear right and it's about like this idea that you you know i think that it's like that this isn't our kind of like normal condition is to be afraid of each other essentially and I think that a lot of shows, Camellia is one of them. Um, Camellia is like, it reminded me a bit of a killing um, or even like these other procedurals where every episode you think it's somebody else. It's like pointing to somebody else being the potential murderer. You know, you're like, ooh, maybe this person's the murderer. Mm, no, it's the sister. Definitely the brother. It's always the uncle. <laughs> Anyways, but... Either way, it's like all of these shows, it, all it does is like it generates this kind of like social or collective like mistrust and fear, yes. right? So you're kind of like afraid of everybody. And and because of that, I think there's like some sort of relationship there to 
like promoting individualism in some yes. kind of way where it doesn't like it doesn't want you it doesn't want you to like share or like have relations with strangers effectively it makes you like mistrust all of them and i think that that is like that kind of conditioning you know of like conditioning of our entertainment again of like not only to make you accept that these things are like this is how it is it's like it's like training you to be like well everybody could be a serial killer for sure and it's in my right to kill them if i need to <laughs> like, that's what we're getting from these shows but also because everyone could be a serial killer everyone must be a detective right it's like a kind of um you know i think wilderson says like you're, you're like deputized right like like there's an extension of the state that like well it's your responsibility because since everyone can be a serial killer then like it is it is your duty to take up the work of po like the police work voluntarily detective work and if you need to enact you know this kind of benevolent ethical violence because my god they're a serial killer then you will right because like you have to do this investigation work and that's what you're saying about like what does it do for our relationship to strangers strange encounters or even just like odd oddness like mm -hmm. you know it really sets a tone to prioritize normativity and prioritize a certain kind of normative interaction and to basically be super distrustful of anything that goes outside of those boundaries because it's like well what about like all of the only the worst case scenarios it's not like you have these interactions because hege hege hegemony like hegemony sucks right like and like normativity sucks like you have these encounters because they're a serial killer or like there's going to be crime or there's going to be like murder or something which yeah like how sad you know like how sad also I just sat I feel like I've said this before on this podcast but like I did watch The Killing and I did watch Dexter and then I was like I I feel like I've also watched a few others um, and a lot more procedurals than I have. I have definitely watched more procedurals, and we will be talking about this with a special guest, hint, hint, in <laughs> a, a future episode. But I feel like at one point I was like, wow, I understand the white guy who murders so well. <laughs> like, I, like, barely understand myself. Like, I don't know why I want whatever I want. And I'm like, wow, this guy's super complicated. So we're right back to the white male serial killer gaze all over again. Absolutely. And I just feel like, yeah. So whenever I see a show where there's a serial killer, there's, like, it sets up a dialectic where like it's not just because we're so focused on the hunt for him the the attention and the care gets shifted to him in a way even if it's like the even if it's like trying to play this process of elimination game right like it's just it just becomes about him and the thing is society is really not about him so it's weird that like so much of entertainment is about him Oh, that's so true. Like the centering, like, I feel like that happens so often on a lot of these shows where you're like, like Camellia, where it's like, it's supposedly about this single mom, you know, but it's like, why? like, you're spending so much time trying to unpack the serial killer and this character, you know, and that's like the depressing part where 
it becomes very consuming. Like, the weak ego serial killer is, like, a very consuming character. Absolutely. And, and I don't know if it's always, like, like, you know, obviously we don't work in these writers' rooms or whatever it is, but, like, I don't really understand, like, how in terms of like their character development like that how that sketches out you know where it's like you start out with this this premise about this woman and her child and her family and this bar and whatever and then she's got this goofy you know police officer boyfriend sort of something i don't know and then suddenly it's just like and then it becomes all about this guy this like murdering cat killer guy or whatever <laughs> and you're just like what like how did like this is you started with this you understood what this premise was. And then you just like started to devote so much time and energy into unpacking. And I think it's like all the stuff that like um, is unconscious sometimes, you know, of just like how much time is devoted to understanding. Absolutely. White male serial killer gaze. Like I don't get it. Yeah, it really is. And it's like, it really is like not just understanding him, but learning how to fear him, learning how to watch out for him learning how to like reorganize your life and then like and then centering your entertainment so that it's about him and it's just like this sucks like i don't want to do this you know i just think that this is just not i think i mean i'm sure some lovely grad student or um someone has is working on or is writing a like some book or dissertation on what it means that like the serial killer has become such a point of fixation in our entertainment not just in the television shows but i know there's so many podcasts devoted to this of like tracking this thing and i'm like you know like we really don't even spend that much time we're really not encouraged to like think deeply about our friends or the people we call like partners and lovers and teachers but like wow there's just a lot of energy devoted to like the person who what was the definition kim like it's like you of the serial killer it's like someone who like repeatedly murders it's like within a certain time frame it's minimum of three and i think within a month or something (laughs) It's that's different than a spree killer. A spree killer is like a bunch in a row, but a serial killer has to be more than three or three and up um, within at least a month between murders. <laughs> there's more time spaced in between their murders. It seems very specific, which is like, wow, there's like a real pattern. Obviously, if you have a definition of it, there's like, yes, we get it. We already know a lot. But I do think that what you're saying, though, about, you know, that kind of like, examination of the serial killer where um i think it's like it could be useful in the sense that if it wasn't always from this like place of like fear like distance understanding yes but one that actually was showing how some of these behaviors characteristics these things that you can also like identify in yourself identify in like relationships that you have that are not extreme outlandish you know like I think that it's like you study all these things about serial killers and you also partially internally know that yeah you're not going to encounter a serial killer actually in the street but it's like you know we recently listened to a podcast about authoritarians and it wasn't like it was a podcast about only dictators 
you know, but it was like actually thinking about authoritarian personalities within people that we probably know, you know, and, and I think that that's too is many that people, think, possibly. Sorry, people, maybe. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is a thing, though, where it's like we spend so much time in like a certain kind of stratosphere of this analysis that is not one that actually takes where like, where do these behaviors come from? You know, and like, we know that they don't just, they're not like pretty special murderers, you know, like there's clearly there's other things happening here. And I, I think it just never moves beyond that. It kind of always exists in this one little realm, which then allows this kind of um, lack of like introspection to yes. occur when you're watching these things too. Totally. I also want to say that the main character the main female character she kind of drops off it seems like but when we do see her she's mostly crying so it kind of goes back to this like permanently victimized like permanently just sad um female character where it's like it's almost like a, a position of learned helpness helplessness that like becomes permanent but the the thing that Kim is pointing to so like we both listened to um, the like a review of the authoritarian personality by Adorno and Horkheimer. So it was like versus like republication of this book that they worked on in the 50s, where they essentially tried to study people who would be uh, fascist sympathizers or like fascist leaning. So they created with psychologists at Berkeley and then in Germany what they called the F scale, which is like the fascism scale. <laughs> like where do you fall on the fascism scale? And like F scale. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I loved the part we can link the podcast below, but I loved the part of the podcast where they were like, and that was really the legacy of this book was like sociologists really took up the F scale and they like really used it for a long time. And I was like, really? Like, wow, I had no idea. <laughs> but yeah, something that like they were talking about that we thought was so interesting was like, well, one, really the, the person who's like fascist leaning is like someone who looks for, well, what was, was never able to um, integrate their superego into themselves. So basically like they never were able to integrate like a sense of conscience, like a conscience or like, some sort of ethical system. So they are always looking to outside structures and outside systems to enforce what they think is a boundary. So like the police or the state has to come in when they think that there's like a boundary that's been dissolved or broken. So like these are people who both detest authority but also take pleasure in submitting to authority. Um, and the examples that they give are, they make a lot of sense. It like actually, summarizes the Karens of the world in that like you know like they did groups they did like studies of like white women at Berkeley who like were obsessed with manners and um, really correlated people not having quote-unquote manners with like the need for those people to be punished in a certain way and by punish you know they were suggesting things like segregation and murder which seems very severe. But to make a long story short, something that like they suggested could help um, is psychotherapy and psychoanalysis on mass scale 
Because these are people who never learned how to be introspective. They were never encouraged and they were never asked to like think about their interiority and never developed a sense of interior interiority and their prefrontal cortex have been fully developed and they're now full-blown adults so the only suggestion that these authors have is like well maybe if there was psychotherapy or psychoanalysis mass scale then maybe they would be less fascistically leaning or something Uh, but we know that they're incapable of introspection. So we're fucked. Doesn't matter. <laughs> but like, this is where I love this tangent. But like, really, why this connects to Camellia is like, ultimately, what these shows about the serial killer shows us again and again is that these these are people who are incapable of introspection. Like they, there is no way to connect with their that what like what is considered interiority doesn't seem to exist and i don't say this lightly and i'm not a medical person or even an analyst but this these are just like my summaries of summaries and then summaries of the shows that we have about serial killers so like am i wrong you know probably not um but then the travesty i think that you're pointing out is that like not only is it that we're learning that the serial killer is not introspective no one else has any room for introspection. You know, he takes up all the air in the room. So then like, no one else has anything. Everyone else is as flat. It's just all the attention went to him. Yeah, yeah, which we see in the show, you know, and a multitude of shows that we've watched. And it's, it becomes so consuming. And the amount of like, emotional and intellectual like all this effective labor that just like goes into not only like understanding analyzing but then like the effort that goes into being able to like stop the serial killer or often involves eliminating the serial killer in some way um but it's just like it's it's really kind of bananas you know and you watch it and you're just like this is gonna take everybody on the show you have to do this now and then suddenly now the serial killer is the main character and like but just like i don't need to see that guy's face so much like i don't understand like and i think that that is also like again like a kind of um intellectual conditioning about like what we believe is the ease of like incarceration or the ease of like extrajudicial violence you know where it's just like just make it go away i'm just like tired of this like Make it go away. I don't want to see it anymore. I don't because it is a lot of work. It's a lot of actual work to to take down the authoritarian. You know, like it, yes. it requires a lot of people, including the authoritarian, which will never do it. But it's like the amount of effort and energy that goes into this. It's exhausting, and I think that you can see why it's like oh, like this is like this tactic. You know, of like you get exhausted, and the easy thing is to be like, let's just eliminate them. And then I don't deal with it anymore. And that is just like not what we should be learning from our entertainment. And but it is really what we are being conditioned to in the entertainment. Because I think what's really dangerous about this, like with all the conversations about police and prison abolition that are happening recently, and like I feel like you and I have been part of the conversations around abolition for like much longer. So it's really interesting to see 
how this conversation is sort of shifted into mainstream discourse, like whatever that means. But like, you know, anytime someone really interacts with this framework called abolition, the first thing that they say is like, well, what about the murders? And what about like rapists or like, you know, that that's like the instinct because the, the reality is, is like the majority of quote unquote crimes that people are incarcerated for are not the crimes that like are quote maybe entertaining enough, which is sadistic and sad, right? Like it, there, there. It's like it's not about the murders, like and it, and if you really want to talk about transformative justice and like murder, that's like a very separate conversation, and you know. Then and you have to have like different reasons to sort of want to get into that. But for the most part, like incarceration is like of the poor, and it happens not because they murder someone, but oftentimes it's like related to their socioeconomic status. So it's like the the even the word crime, I think it's shifted to what you're saying. Like it just becomes like, oh, that person did something wrong. Just like send them away. We can't deal with this for 15 episodes. Too long. It's painful. We just need it to end. The only end that we understand is, like, send them away and let's not hear from them again. Yeah, which I actually think we will talk about a bit more, too, um, with another show um, that we're watching right now in terms of um, mental health. I think as well. I think there's definitely a correlation to that too of like sending people away and like trying to basically make them disappear effectively because it's just easier. It's easier than actually having to, to, it's not even like, it's about like, I don't want to say dealing with because that sounds like it's like not the right position, but I think it's dealing, it's dealing with not like them as a person, but it's dealing with the fact that you have to then take apart a lot of things if you actually want to address that, you know, like if you actually, like, it's like you have to take apart a lot of systems and a lot of structures and let's face it, a lot of people are clearly not willing to do that, you know, in order to actually like make these kinds of changes. And instead they just would rather like give in to these existing narratives. Yes. And I think that when people ask like, well, what about the, the quote unquote like criminals or what about the murders? It's like, well, what about like, all of the shows that you've watched, what about all of the writers who've constructed this world where the only option is like, you find, the, you use like, you become suspicious of everyone around you and then you just kill the serial killer yourself, you know, because only you can do it. Like, what about that? Like, what about the fact that your imagination is not your own? Like, what do we do with that? You know, like the things that we think about, I mean, I, kn- I know that this, might sound really sacrilegious for to people who believe that we are sacred individuals and our minds are like ours and private or whatever but you know it could be not true and it could just be that like a lot of our desires are conditioned are conditioned and a lot of the thoughts that we have are conditioned and if you want something else it's going to take so much work. So what do we do about the fact that we don't even seem to want anything else? I mean, that devastates me. I mean, I think all of U.S. television is an example of what nobody wants. We've talked a lot about the 
how limited people's dreams are and how limited people's imaginations are. And it's, again, it's like, because it is easier, you know, it is easier. And, and that, like, I don't know. I don't, I think that there's, there's, there's some sort of tie-in, I think, as well to um, this false, um, I mean, it's basically propaganda. Let's just call it propaganda about unexceptionalism, you know, where I think that we don't, we don't want people. We don't want people to be finding their own way. We don't want people to be finding alternate forms of anything. We don't want people to be like putting their energy towards that. And I think it's like definitely one of the oppressive um, results of like neoliberal capitalism for yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know? But I do think that that is like that kind of unexceptionalism through our entertainment, we are sold that that is the dream. The dream is to be unbelievably unexceptional and everybody is equally unexceptional. Right. Everyone's equally a police officer, a detective who can take up you know, extra, like, judicial killings, and then also unexceptional, right? Like, your biggest problem is who are you going to marry? And does your crush like you back exactly the way that you like them? And did you cry today? Because you seem to be crying in every scene. I mean, it is a bit of a twist, though, because I do think there's a lot about, like, your desires are unexceptional, but you believe they are individual. Ooh. And that, like, what, what's that about? <laughs> like, but, it, but it's so real because you have to believe that your desires are your own. Yes. So it's like, it's everyone, right? But you genuinely believe that they're earnest and sincerely yours. <gasps> Different. And in within that somehow. And I mean, I also think that that's part of like, serial killer thing too where it's like like you believe that you're this special that you're going to be the victim or a target of a serial killer like that's like a lot like i just feel like like again like statistically most people that you know including yourself are not going to be the target of a serial killer and it the fact that you watch these shows and then become certain that this could be you is also like oof, what is that it does remind me of the kind of like the ways in which the neo-fascists in the U.S. have really taken up detective work and really believe that they can engage in it themselves or like they can do this Internet research and they know the truth. Like they know the truth better than you do based on like a handful of like Internet research or something. Um, but it's because it's like and I think that this is important because it's like it's not like you know the truth because you're interested in the truth or you're interested in liberation. You know the truth because you already feel like an extension of the police and therefore you will find the truth because that is what you believe the, the police enact, which is a very different scheme from you're interested in like, I don't know, models of like liberation or like models of like abolition, right? Like, yeah. Also, there are too many cops as lovers and, like, like, <laughs> sorry, I think maybe we just, like, won't watch anything where, like, the, per like, the, the, the love interest is a cop. Fuck that. It keeps happening. If they're not lawyers or prosecutors, they're fucking cops. And you're like, come on. 
I do think that Korea has a real, real fetish for the civil servant. <laughs> That's that's the vibe I'm getting from these. There's shows. probably like a like a deeper like unconscious sort of like, you know, it's like a it it it's a way to signal class without maybe explicitly saying class because the, like it indicates like a steady income, a steady income that's at least middle if not upper middle class eventually. So then like you don't really have to talk about money, you can just know that there is money. Right. Some yes. money, some money, right? Reliable um, money. Reliable money. That that the false idea that it's like again like good money, clean money. It's yes. not corporation money. It's you know civil servant money. <laughs> okay. With that being said, should we shift a little bit to the rest of our complaints about Taiwan class? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can't wait. Please. Yes. Go ahead. Um, so there were a few, so I watched, I definitely remember watching the first episode and being like, okay, well, there's a guy and basically everything terrible that could ever happen to a human being is happening in the first 25 minutes of this show. It's like unbearable. Also, like it's extra unbearable because they really set him out to be this like morally righteous dude. Like he gets in trouble because he can't stand someone being bullied and then his dad is so not abusive that he just takes his son. He doesn't gaslight his son. He just is like, yeah, I'm on your side. I support your decision. Like, as if you're like an adult. And then this, he dies. So it's like you set up. Who doesn't die, I know. Who doesn't <laughs> die in this team? Die. And the girl that he has a crush on, who is like also in his, like, class bracket of like you know kind of wandering and poor is like an apolitical bitch essentially she's like i am gonna use the fact that i grew up poor as the justification as to why i feel like i can become cruel and like a cruel successful capitalist and then like there was like some bar and then I just stopped watching and then I watched the second to last episode and I was like on I watched the second to last episode the before Claire told us to watch only because I was like I'm pretty sure that for 15 episodes they're gonna torture this guy and this girl who the apolitical girl who he likes at first but you know she doesn't really like him back at first um, she's gonna like betray him and he's just gonna be tortured but then at the end all will prevail and it will be fine and he will get his way which is like some weird do you know like this sort of what is it called in Greek just the duis ex machina I'm like you can't pronounce anything today yeah so it's like it's set up as like this kind of like outside force that comes in like saves the day but I'm like, what's the point? Like, for 15 episodes, you torture someone, then, like, the 16th episode is set up as the fantasy. So, really, you've set it up that, like, this poor character is tortured and, like, the richer evil. And the... It was... We should also mention that both of these shows were very popular shows. And, like, that's very questionable. There's a lot to, to say about that. And, like, capitalism the 
the the the bourgeois master of the other company, the food company, it's a food corporation. It's a famous food corporation. <laughs> yeah. They were eventually overtaken by the protagonist, but only because he became a successful capitalist. So it's like ultimately not, it's just a story about a corporate takeover, which like, I mean. Yeah, who cares? What is this? I just don't care. Like, it's not like the corporation, it's not like, it's just like, oh yeah, he like changed the name of the corporation. He didn't like kill the corporation. He didn't like, it didn't become a co-op. <laughs> Not a co-op. Neither of these shows have a co-op. Still, oh, what, over 18. <laughs> no co-op. <laughs> no co-ops. But he does like give some speech at the end where he's like, I'm interested in people over games. And it's like, but then, like, you then tell the guy, the other capitalist, that, like, you're not a pushover and, like, you're a business person. And that's supposed to show that, like, you know what you're doing with money. Yeah, well, I think that, <laughs> can you imagine if you had actually watched the series oh in full and that's how it ended? <laughs> like, it would have been even more disappointing. I do think this happens a lot, though, with these shows where you have a particular kind of narrative that's constructed where um there's some sort of oppositional force usually it's like a rich old guy I hate him you keep fighting with this rich old guy in the show literally it's fighting but in other shows it's more whatever other kinds of fighting and um and then it just like at the end they repent or maybe it's fine usually if it's like a father figure it's like everything's fine. They resolve it. And you were just like, what was the point? Exactly. Why did we watch all of this? Why did we watch all this torture and this all this conflict? This wasn't actually a conflict if you were just going to say sorry and it's fine? Like, what? <laughs> I don't understand. And so I don't know. I don't know why, like, what that is. And if that is maybe going back to why Joe doesn't finish shows. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Joe. <laughs> um, because, you know, if you're just going to, like, put a bow on this thing that you've spent 15 episodes or 20 episodes, like, constructing at the end anyway, what's the point? Like, I don't know why, you know. Um, but I do think that, like, for this show, too, where it's, like, I guess you just, like, don't really get, like, what I think in the – as someone who basically only watched the last show – where he talks about how, like, the, like his entire existence, his entire professional career, his entire, like, reason for doing all of these things was constructed around the fact that he hated this old CEO villain so much, you know? And that was, like, he's like, this is what drove me to do all of these things. And that was my, like, my sole motivation is to do that. And you're like, that's it? What about, like, the only decent character on the show, which was your dad who died? Like, no, yeah. it's not for him? Like, wow, okay. And it's, like, so consuming. And, and I, I don't want to say that that isn't possible. And I'm not saying that that's not, like, a real thing that happens for sure. But it just feels so, like, one-dimensional that that is, like, his sole motivation is only to, like, get back at this guy. And then when that guy, like, I don't know, it just, like, resolves itself. And then it's like, well, then now what is your motivation? 
seems like capital. <laughs> I mean, I felt like I even your point that like the old guy just is like, I'm sorry, I'm kneeling, you know, I'm old, I'm weak, just like I, old I guys, yeah, old guys that are suddenly weak, like like as if um, it just it actually really like that scene really irritated me, but like that um arc really irritates me because i'm like this is the thing it's like when i when there's a fucking villain i want that villain to be complicated <laughs> like honestly i would i am always for the villain like they are so much more interesting always but like in the show it was very clear that like the villain was flat and the main character was flat like as in like he's really one-dimensional from everything that they did to him, like the gross haircut that they gave him to like the outfits, I know, like the outfits that they put him in. Right now? Like, is this like a popular? No, I think it's to like signify that like he is both like Chunsurol, which is like this guy who like doesn't really have like good style or like the style is kind of like of a quote unquote lower class. But also that like, I kind of almost interpreted this as like a stunted development. Like he's just yeah. forever that character in high school, you know, like he has the same haircut, the same motivations, right? It's like adolescent. That's what you're saying. Like it's adolescent to be like, I hate you. So I'm going to construct my entire life around vengeance, which is not really about vengeance. It's about replication i'm gonna duplicate myself into being you because it's the only way i as an adolescent thinker can envision defeating you is like only a version of you can defeat you super super arrested in terms of like just thought process because you're right it's like at what point does the father figure in at what point i mean he kind of develops this weird relationship to his devoted sidekick girlfriend character person he calls her a sociopath would you say that is true as someone who watched 2.5 episodes (laughs) i did not actually understand the purpose of her character at all like i was confused i was like wow there's already one flat woman was there a need for another one i mean like i didn't i i mean and i and i say this like she basically all of the scenes I saw her in, she just existed to defend him. You know, she she played both this like mother slash sidekick figure where she would just show up to be like, he's amazing. You have no idea how amazing he is. Like he's the best. And I'm just like, wow, you have like she's like basically a cheerleader for just you. And you have nothing going on for you at the beginning, which is part of the point. Is like I think you wrote in the notes somewhere she's the loyal girlfriend like she's ride or die in like the worst way possible because like that's not a compliment everyone that's not a compliment you should definitely ride but not die for your dudes like that's weird but does she die even (laughs) like in that final scene again i know nothing about these characters but she like i don't again like she needs saving she's they're all kind of beaten up so something happened in the previous episode where everyone got all fucked up i guess <laughs> and so then 
all these dudes are like coming to beat up like or maybe kill her and this other guy and then she like abandons that dude because whatever like i don't know she's like take this pipe and beat up these guys and then she takes off and needs to be saved and then like the lead male character comes and essentially um comes to save her and he's like just go like basically like you go save yourself and like I'll die for you. And she's like, but if you die, I'll die. And then she just runs away. <laughs> like, this is after you make a statement like that, you're like, we're going down together. And she's like, no problem. You can go ahead and die. I'm just going to take off and I'll probably die later because death is inevitable. <laughs> like, Honestly, I do think that like you, you and I should start making reaction videos, but to shows we've never seen, we should just like watch the first and last episode of things and be like oh my god what oh but okay so like the other thing i was gonna say about the the villain i mean they're both capitalists so they're both villains let's be honest um but the old guy villain is that like we i wonder what we have to do with this fantasy at the very end that like the evil overlord when stripped of capital and power in order to retain capital and power will do things like quote unquote repent right because like so there's a scene where he like is kneeling and he's just sort of like trying to gain the empathy he's trying to gain empathy but he's only trying to gain empathy to to like maintain his power and some capital some control so i don't really think that that's the same thing as repenting but I also think, like, what do we do about this hella Christian gesture of, like, you do 15 episodes of torture. And then at the end, you're like, sorry, I'm old now. It's like, I don't really think, I actually think, like, if you were incapable of introspection for 15 episodes, did you get psychoanalysis in between 15 and 16 and then you gained introspection and then that's why you come and repent? Like, what happened between 15 and 16? Because you were without it the entire time. Well, and it isn't. I mean, it isn't repenting. Even it's the performance of repenting. Um, yeah, and I think that he gets called out for that too, where he's just like, mm. he's like, I've been thinking about this moment for a long time and I don't think this is what I think it is. <laughs> um, also, it's disgusting. I know this is a bit of a sidebar, but watching him eat that soup was disgusting. That old man just like really reaffirmed how gross he was as a human being. Oh, yes. But eating with his like mouthful or talking with his mouthful is gross. But then he, he kneels and he's crying and it's just like, it's too much. Like it's just too much, you know, where then suddenly he appears to be weak. Like it seems like he can't. When literally in that exact episode, it starts with him being the super like evil person that he is, you know, where he is just like, like laughing and like maniacally and like being like just the villain that he is, the flat villain that he is. Um, but yeah, like I think that we, I don't know what it is that you seek as a viewer in this like why you need to see the villain 
or deep this way. Um, I don't know. Do we desire it? I don't know. I mean, I feel like isn't it? Doesn't it say something that the villain is like? There's some attempt to humanize the torturer at the end because it's like even though he's a torturer, yeah. Goodness. It's like he's he can become old and like might be afraid of losing some of the things that he has. And it's like, well, that's not really a position. I just I just want to put that out there. That's not a not a position to be empathetic of anyway. Um, but secondly, like, do you really believe that that's how transformation works? Because that's not transformation. It's just someone trying to hold on to their power in the guise of repentance which is totally different right and like also i'm just gonna say like i don't think it's enough to say sorry at the end Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well it isn't i mean again like it's we know it's never just a singular act you know we know it's like the kind of trauma that lingers the kinds of relationships that are destroyed, the, I mean, I didn't watch a series, but I bet a bunch of people died, you know? <laughs> like, and so it's like, you don't get that back just because you said, I'm sorry at the end, which again, is more about your individual interests than it is actually about even saying sorry. But even saying sorry is not enough. Even if it was something that came from a sincere place, whatever that is. You know, and I, I don't know why, yeah, like, I don't know why we need to see them redeemed. I'm not, this is related. This is related to the trying to understand the serial killer gaze too. Absolutely. You know, I don't, I don't know why we need to humanize some of these monsters. You created super monsters. They're just super monsters. It is what it is. I mean, I think more than anything, what do, how might we grapple with the fact that people who do really terrible things sociologically speaking according to adorno and horkheimer and you know friends at berkeley and etc um have studied and said like it does not seem like they're they really know how to introspect like how do we grapple with that like instead of like being like you are just an extension of who i think i am which is this person who's capable of understanding when I am wrong and then saying out loud sorry, even if it's the end. What do what to do with the fact that like there are people who just will never say sorry, who will do very consistently horrible things, but never think of them as terrible. That's their position. Like this is something that I think I've been really thinking about. Um, liberalism really seems to refuse to accept that some people have taken a position that's not their position. Like, it's not like you need to understand the fascist better and then that person will not be fascist. It's like, you don't accept that that person is a fascist. Like, what does that mean for you? Like, you think, is it because your position is not that certain for you? So you can't imagine that someone else might actually take a position that's horribly violent and horribly destructive you won't even accept that that's their position. Oh yeah, that's such a good point. I think it's related as well to like this kind of ongoing battle with 
this expectation that um, in terms of like white people understanding racialized experience in which it's this constant sort of uh, way of doing things in which you're just like, you need to basically like, like empathize. Like mm-hmm. you need to empathize with our position. You need to empathize with the fact that our lives suck because you made them shitty. But it, but it's like actually what needs to be done is that they need to acknowledge that their behavior is like, it destroys them too, is exactly. also destroying them. Yeah. And it's the same thing of like asking, it's like the authoritarians, we need them to acknowledge that they are authoritarians. Yes. We need that. It's not enough. It's not enough for them to even acknowledge that they're being authoritarian with us. You know, it's like you have to also acknowledge how it's affecting you in this way. And I think that that is like, you're totally right, you know, where it's like you can't even, you don't even see it as a thing that exists outside of you. You know, like it's like, it's if you always are kind of centering this sort of one frame of existence, it's like it's just never going to work. It's never going to work in like, I don't know, is it like, it's like, it's never going to work. And maybe it's just like, a, things are just so abstract. And I, I, I mean that very pejoratively, like, maybe like, um, the exploitation that the poor face on a daily systematic basis, maybe it's so abstract that like, it's set up this way that like, you can consistently set it up so that like the poor are consistently tortured and exploited systematically and then there's a role reversal at the very end because like all of that violence is like very abstract when like the violence of structural violence does not seem abstract to me and it seems um there's something so devastating about not it's like both refusing the element of that it's a structure and a formation and then also just quickly trying to be like and everything's fine because he won the corporate takeover and the old guy said sorry so it's good i just renamed this food company some other name it's gonna be great i'm a good ceo i'm a good boss (laughs) <laughs> I'm a fun mom. <laughs> oh my god, isn't that what you said? Like we were saying how he's basically the main our main girl in Crash Landing, but he didn't have to go to North Korea. And you were like, Well he did, he was incarcerated, so you know, it reform works according to this show. Reform works, here it is, another example. Thanks. <laughs> it's exactly what we needed. Um should we talk really like as we're nearing the end should we talk about how both of these shows as you put in the notes might be about chosen families yeah i mean i do think that is you know semi-posy i guess (laughs) um about families that you know for a variety of reasons people that come together whether they chose to abandon their families or um, are without families for whatever reason it may be and to find each other and um, to kind of create some sort of family. Um, however, I think both of them are about families centered around business. Mm. <laughs> um, so kind of and then conflating the chosen family again with the kind of familial 
perhaps familial manipulation thing that we've talked about in yeah. the past about businesses, you know, um, but that they all kind of work towards, you know, this like place and this place is like a place that like took in a bunch of strays, you know, and that now we are this like zany family and someone's a serial killer. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I do think there is something about that too of um, that like a surrogate of like blood family becomes business. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, this was the weird tension, I think, with Taiwan class I think that people were really excited because in terms of representation I think you saw different kinds of characters Taiwan in Korea is sort of a space where like it's like both has the connotation of like where military people like foreign military people go to hang out but also it's just like where a lot of immigrants not expats immigrants um, of all sorts or just tourists like show up so you do see that in the show I think you see like characters that like are not Korean which I think in a Korean show you mostly see lots of Koreans whether or not you have representation I don't know like I guess this is like a question where like maybe we should just conf I don't want to make us confess but maybe confess that like we're not believers of representation as liberation okay. we don't care about representation yeah just... especially if it's like like a one-off or just you appear a little bit and or you appear to like basically just aid the development of the main dude i mean we don't know we don't know we we will not fight you if you say that this is the most important thing we'll just probably not talk to you that much <laughs> but we won't fight you i mean if you tell us like i think kim said it really well one year you were like it's scarlett johansson versus crazy rich asians like these are the <laughs> these are the options and like you gotta pick nothing you gotta pick nothing and that is our stance that like scarlett johansson sucks crazy rich asian sucks we we just we have nothing to choose and we don't even believe in choice so i guess it works out <laughs> we don't believe in choice which is why we have a big problem with auntie annie's because there's just too many choices there <laughs> <laughs> can our listeners from korea maybe email us and let us know how many auntie annie's actually exist in korea so that we can like do a comparison of whether or not this is just a fantastical setup of korea where there's auntie annie's everywhere or like you know i mean That's i don't know <laughs> yeah exactly um yes well absolutely we don't care about representation not good enough we don't care um there's one white lady on camellia <laughs> oh look white women you're represented okay you're not excluded from k-drama apparently yeah she's like a 
it was actually when I watched it, I was like, it's a long time since I've seen a white person on a TV show. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> and she basically is, I think she's German. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know why she works at this crab restaurant. There's no, there's no character development there, which is absolutely fine. Um, but she exists and basically that, uh, she exists only to kind of like make sort of snide comments in the kind of elementary Korean that she knows apparently. <laughs> and, and so, you know, there's representation for you, whatever. Great. <laughs> and this isn't to say that like, we wouldn't be super, like it was really exciting actually when, um, in romance we saw like, the lesbian, the queer um, designer and her like partner. Like that scene was, it was interesting. It, it was interesting, especially because she was best dressed. <laughs> and we were like, come back, come back just for the fashion or something like, please. Um, I mean, and then I think what we said then was like, well, it, they're not leading like these queer lives. So like, the fact that they don't have a presence, I mean, to have a, like, a queer character just kind of pop in, it's it's difficult when you have, like, such a heteronormative, like, liberal capitalism-focused, like, drama, what to do about, like, non-normative characters, like, non-normative lives. I think that this will always be a struggle because it's not that, like, we don't get excited, but it's also, like, well, how do they fit? How would they fit? Are you really close? Like, and given the fact that you basically wrote this main character in Itaewon to be 16 for the entirety of his life, I don't know if I trust you to do anything more with anyone else. Um, that, first of all. But second of all, like, if other people with different politics, with like kind of whatever, didn't show up, like, I'm not gonna, I, I don't know if I would force it upon the show. And I think this show had maybe like more interesting kind of forms of representation. Like, I think that's why people got really excited. But yeah, like, how do they, how did they exist? You know, why did they exist? Like, I'm a little suspicious. Well, because they can't be props. If it's just like, if they're just used as props, if they're only used to kind of plot along some other narrative like used in such a way that also is just like a convenient um acceleration of another person's character development not their own character development like that's not very interesting you know and we like we just don't really care about it as window dressing it's just like it's not enough i think um but yeah i mean it's yeah we're not obviously we want to see a lot of different kinds of characters a lot of different kinds of stories a lot of different kinds of perspectives um we just have yet to encounter a great example of that i know the best examples we have basically are older korean women in relationships with slightly younger korean men um, <laughs> who are experiencing lots of and lots of gendered violence at work you know, like that seems to be like a pathway for things to be. Very willing to get into that narrative. Love a story about gendered violence, right? You're ready to go there. Hey, TV. But, um, but yeah, so you are more than welcome. Please let us know, Claire, if we 
talked about it enough. We're both sorry, but also not that we couldn't watch more episodes of this. Claire didn't like these shows either. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you on this. but if other people want to send me, um, like send us an email or reach out to me on Twitter or, or another social media platform, I'm not really on any others, you know, but who knows? Like the internet is a strange place. And let us know what we should be watching. We do have some upcoming episodes. We are currently watching It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And we'll be recording something this week that's a midway recap with a very special guest star. So excited. Um, yeah. And, oh, you know, we didn't talk about the sad fashion in both of the shows. Oh, yeah, I mean, how does this guy have the same haircut for the entire thing? It, um, it's like the hyena effect or something. It's like nobody, I don't know. Like, Also, that hair, I mean, let's just be honest. As someone who's had a lot of blunt bangs in her life, it's like <laughs> a lot of upkeep. You know, like keeping your little short little haircut. Like you're cutting your hair like every week or like... Every two weeks, you got to trim it up to keep it that short. And that, just, that guy is busy, you know? Like, I'm getting beat up all the time. He's in the hospital. I mean, it's just, like, it's just not realistic. So yeah. It's a high-maintenance haircut, actually. Um, no, I think that fashion in both, was, they were really situated to tell you that these characters were unexceptional or something. Yeah, Camellia was real sad. <laughs> Some of, like, the saddest clothes I've ever seen. Was it as sad as, like, tomorrow when she was wearing that denim romper? Yeah. Um, yeah, like, one, like, oversized one-piece things. And a lot of frumpy clothes. And, yeah, we get it. She's sad. We get it. She's crying in each scene. Okay? You don't have to put her in sad clothes and make her cry. That's so sad. That's just sad on top of sad. <laughs> Just saying. Message received. <laughs> yeah. um, but thank you so much for listening to us today. And we will happily you know, hate watch other things or just explain again that we can't watch serial killer stuff or the poor being tortured stuff. Um, but if you do have good recommendations, please send them to us because we are looking for them. Amazing. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye. <laughs>